Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jenny Kaplan, co-founder and CEO of Wonder Media Network, and this is Women Belong in the House. Last episode, we talked about how representatives translate career and personal experiences into congressional action. This session, women in the House are getting a lot done. Here's Ashanti Golar, president of Emerge. Emerge is an organization that trains and recruits Democratic women to run for office. Ashanti is also the host of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast. We see Deb Holland leading on veterans. We see Congresswoman Lucy McBath leading on gun reform. We have Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, who really helped change the entire narrative about should we impeach Trump because she has this national security background. So when a lot of women are in office, they just immediately think that they're going to be confined to this specific box of things that they care about when reality is they are able to lead on all of the issues. Speaking about Congresswoman Lucy McBath, she was inspired to run for office because her son Jordan Davis was shot and killed for playing loud music in his car. And she now sits on the committee that oversees gun violence in America. And she was able to get that vote passed. And I love that when they were voting, she said, for my son Jordan, I, I vote yes. I also think about healthcare. We're recording this in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, and Congresswoman Kim Schreier is the only woman physician in Congress. Imagine what it would have been like if we had more women doctors in Congress who were able to say, this is why this is important. This is why we need to get ahead with the testing. This is why self-isolation works. But actually getting anything done in Congress requires more than gumption. It also takes team building. Nothing gets done in the House without a coalition. That challenge, finding allies, is our topic of the day. Representatives have to identify whose priorities match up with their own. They have to do that within their own political parties and across the aisle. Even within the Democratic Party, there's a vast array of political perspectives. Here's Ashanti again. That is just the fabric of the Democratic Party, that we are a big tent party and we welcome people from all different perspectives of being a Democrat, which I think does make us effective. But of course, it does lead to some infighting. I remind people all the time, people are voted in by the people in their district. So if they are overwhelmingly voting these people in with 50% of the vote, 60% of the vote, that means that they are reflecting them and their values in that district. And they feel that they are being effective for them in Congress. 
So it's not necessarily that they're not the right shade of blue. Their people are sending them there because they're doing the right thing. And we're seeing a lot of people who want to oust members like, like them, but it doesn't always work because they're right for their district. The big tent mentality means there are a lot of different shades of blue in Congress. Full party agreement on any issue isn't a given. Here's Representative Abigail Spanberger of Virginia's 7th District. And I'll say this, because in our district, in my own family, right, I have people across the political spectrum, be it party to party or be it kind of different shades of Democrats. And so for me, I, I actually don't find it, I find it normal that within the Democratic caucus, we have a vibrant array of people who kind of fall across the spectrum already, you know, on the on the Democratic side of the aisle. And I have found that there it's it's an issue of what people's priorities are. It's an issue of how they're looking at problems. And I've been able to have tremendously good conversations with people kind of uh, across the, the spectrum within the Democratic caucus. I'm deeply appreciative of kind of the the passion and excitement that exists, you know, from the furthest to the left to the furthest to the center member. Um, I think we're all really driven by the same thing, which is to continue to make progress for this country, continue to create opportunity for all Americans, be they kind of the, the youngest ones um, to the to our most senior and, and everybody in between. So how do representatives actually go about making alliances? Today, we're going to look at four different ways representatives find each other. Congressional class, district similarities, committee assignments, and personal backgrounds. Much like in college, the first opportunity to really form strong bonds with peers is connecting with people in your year. Some freshman representatives may have formed early bonds on the campaign trail, but the biggest moment for cementing early relationships is freshman orientation. Here's Abigail Spanberger again. The newest members of Congress are the, you know, the freshman members of Congress. So they they talk about us in terms of classes, and so, um, you know, we're the freshman class. And and there's, you're always being grouped with this. For us, it was a really large bunch of people. Um, and I I think people were Im- immediately diving in and trying to make relationships and meet each other. And um, I, I think we have a generally pretty cohesive freshman class. As previously discussed. This particular freshman class orientation took place at a historic and strange time. Here's Representative Angie Craig of Minnesota's 2nd District. You know, once I got sworn in, what's what's fascinating is I was sworn in 12 days into a government shutdown. So that delayed almost everything from committee assignments to uh, starting the work of doing the people's work. The shutdown delayed some of the ways freshmen bond with veterans of Congress and accelerated relationships within the freshman cohort. There was probably only one silver lining to it, and that was the Republican freshmen and the Democratic freshmen were in the same boat together. None of us had committee assignments. uh, None of us had leadership positions to influence uh, the government shutdown. And so, you know, one of the silver linings is we started coming together with each other in the ag conference room every afternoon around 2 o'clock, and we actually got to know each other. So in a town where that's difficult, uh, those days of just uh, sitting together and getting to know each other have resulted in uh, quite a number of pieces of legislation uh, with folks across the aisle, for example, uh, in in my case. 
when you first get there, you, you don't know exactly. You hear rumors about how we're going to end the shutdown. And, of course, like a bunch of overachieving freshmen, we decided we would uh, get together every afternoon in the committee room just to compare notes, uh, what each other's leadership was telling the other, and frankly brainstorm ideas on how we could be part of the solution. The government shutdown gave us an opportunity uh, and a, a shared purpose to get together and get to know each other, and that's resulted in good legislation. I ended up introducing a bill for uh, family farmers uh, with Congressman Dusty Johnson of South Dakota, uh, who I remember in those meetings uh, every afternoon. So uh, it, it was it was uh, the worst of times, but uh, we made the best of it, and it's resulted in some good friendships and uh, some good work together. In addition to congressional class, representatives find allies in others who come from similar congressional districts. Those similarities may stem from a variety of sources. The districts could be both rural or urban. The constituents could be similarly spread across the political spectrum. The districts could share industries such as manufacturing or tech. You know, I have a number of, of really clear priorities, broadband and prescription drugs being being two of them, education, healthcare, you know, brought more broadly than prescription drugs as well. That's Abigail Spanberger again. The effort that I took to find folks to work with, um, you know, when it comes to broadband internet, it basically it's <laughs> talking to folks who come from more rural communities. And so that's a, a pretty easy way to find uh, some some interested parties who want to talk about broadband internet. The next opportunity for coalition building comes with committee assignments. To stretch the college metaphor, it's like getting to know the other students in your courses. Here's Ashanti Golar again. A lot of the women who I get to hear them talk at events, they're like, oh, we sit next to each other in so-and-so committee and people just stare at us all the time because we're given all the looks and we're making all the comments. And I think a perfect example of that is Rep. Katie Porter, she is just known for grilling all of these executives when it comes to issues of economics and putting people first when it comes to these issues. And she sits on that committee with Congresswoman Deb Holland. And when she was talking to the head of the CDC, she pulled out her whiteboard and I love that there was Congresswoman Deb Holland being her wing woman, helping her with her whiteboard and holding it so she could totally grill the CDC chair. Dr. Redfield, will you commit to the CDC right now using that existing authority to pay for diagnostic testing free to every American regardless of insurance? Well, I can say that we're going to do everything to make sure everybody can nope, get the care they enough. need. No, not good enough. Reclaiming my time. Dr. Redfield, you have the existing authority. Will you commit right now to using the authority that you have vested in you under law that provides in a public health emergency for testing, treatment, exam, isolation without cost, yes or no? So for me, it's not only having that connection when they're in the same committee, but how they're lifting each other up. And I'm like, look at Deb being, you know, Katie's wing woman, helping her with her whiteboard. Last but certainly not least on our list today, members of Congress identify potential partners and allies based on their personal identities. 
That can mean finding people with similar backgrounds or career paths. For example, a group of former members of the intelligence and national security community joined forces to say that it was time to impeach the president. There is a new op-ed in the Washington Post authored by seven freshman Democrats, all with national security credentials, who say if the allegations about President Trump and Ukraine are true, it is an impeachable offense. Elaine Luria, representative from Virginia, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me about this, to see your name on this op-ed. The names of the other people who signed on to this with you, Mikey Sherrill, Abigail Spanberger, Alyssa Slotkin, Gil Cisneros, Jason Crow, Chrissy Houlihan. It feels different and that the Democrats are going to move forward in a different way. Breaking news tonight, the tipping point on impeachment. Nancy Pelosi announcing a formal impeachment inquiry into President Trump for major reversal under mounting pressure from fellow Democrats. The coalition building of these National Security Seven heavily influenced the course of history. Their op-ed may have been the single most significant tipping point in propelling the House into an impeachment inquiry of the president, which, as we know, resulted in Donald Trump becoming only our third president to be impeached by the House. Shared identities have clearly driven bonds in the 116th Congress, and coordinated efforts, even by small cohorts, can make a huge difference. Here's a familiar voice, Kelly Dittmar, from the Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers. We spoke to her in episode one. But I think one of the clear things that we see, which is consistent with what we found before these women came in, um, but I would say sort of expanded or amplified, is the ways in which women have had each other's backs um, in what is, you know, a new time for them and also navigating a, a space that can sometimes be difficult. Um, so when you see, you know, the women who, you know, are identified as the squad, right, having each other's backs, working together, not just to say we support each other, but literally in committee hearings, you know, being coordinated in some of the, the conversations that they want to bring to the table. It's really effective, right? So it is um, working together in that way, often as women or as women of color, uh, women who have particular military and intelligence experience coming together, like uh, uh, Abigail Spanberger and um, uh, Mikey Sherrill and others, right, who have also seen to and talked about the bond that they have with each other based on their shared experiences um, and shared policy interests. Sometimes, finding parties interested in a particular piece of legislation is less about commonalities and more about differences. Representative Chrissy Houlihan of Pennsylvania's 6th District spoke to that. So I, I actually visualize the, the parties, the two sides that people talk about more as um, a spectrum, as you mentioned, sort of shades of blue, shades of red. But I also visualize it not as a line, but as a circle. And, you know, the darkest blues and the darkest reds actually meet at the top of that circle. And so there are good coalitions to identify in that area. And you need to find a way to move yourself all along the circle to be able to find the, the allies that you have on any given issue. And it, it would surprise you where you can find those allies. It depends not only on where people sit on the spectrum, but also what their interests are. You know, you'd be surprised to find out that there are a couple dentists who are on the Republican side. And if you care about dental health and you're a Democrat, you might want to find the Republican dentists. And they may not ideologically agree with you, but they like to, to think about people's dental health. And so you're just always trying to piece together the right combination of people who can be your allies on any given issue. 
it's vital for representatives to work across the aisle. More on that after the break. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Honestly, that question feels almost insane right now. All of us are struggling to deal with our new normal. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aids available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their websites and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit BetterHelp.com slash W-B-I-T-H. That's BetterHelp.com slash W-B-I-T-H. And join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Women Belong in the House listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash W-B-I-T-H. In our polarized political climate, building bridges across the partisan divide is a significant challenge. Angie Craig said the way Congress works is actually designed to make working outside political parties difficult. What I found since those early days is that it really is difficult to build those relationships uh, across the aisle. You aren't naturally together um, except when you're in a committee markup or when you're voting on the House floor. And literally on the House floor when you vote, most uh, Democrats sit on one side of the room and most Republicans sit on the other side of the room. So uh, they, we even divide ourselves just geographically by how we sit on the House floor. So in order to really get to know uh, a colleague, you have to be purposeful about it. But Angie, like many of the women who won last cycle, hails from a red to blue district. That means her constituents previously voted Republican. For them, it's important that Angie be able to work with people outside of her party. You know, in districts like mine and communities like mine, what my constituents want more than anything right now is for the two-party system to figure out a way to work together. People just want us to figure out how to work together and be civil to one another. And I have a lot of colleagues who I don't agree with on every single topic, but it's not going to stop me from working with them if we find some common ground. Angie has successfully found common ground on multiple issues. That doesn't mean it's easy. Sometimes it takes a whole lot of persistence. You know, when I ran, I ran on the platform of, look, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, has been the law of the land for 10 years. It is anything but perfect, but there were some improvements to health care, such as making sure that there aren't lifetime limits, uh, making sure that folks with pre-existing conditions have access to health care. 
What has been frustrating is that, you know, common sense policies like reinsurance, which uh, is a Republican-led initiative in the state of Minnesota, which is uh, helping to reduce the cost of health insurance in the individual marketplace. They were met with resistance when I introduced the bill at the federal level. And by resistance, I mean, uh, I probably talked to 12 Republicans who said, yeah, I know this is good policy, but anything we do to stabilize the ACA, stabilize Obamacare, is politically toxic. And so it's, it's sort of like you back up and you say, wow, we're not going to work together and implement good policy because of the politics of it. I finally got a Republican uh, co-lead on that bill, Jeff Fortenberry from Nebraska. Uh, So it is now a bipartisan bill, and and I just didn't give up. Jeff's office is literally just down the hall from mine on the fifth floor of the Longworth building. And every time I ran into him in the elevator in Longworth headed to votes, uh, I would just bend his ear on, uh, you know, this is good policy. We, we can't let politics good get in the place, um, get in the way of, of good policy. And over time, I don't know if I wore him down or what, but uh, over time, he agreed to sign on and co-lead the bill with me. The partisan divide can feel wider than ever, especially if you turn on the TV. The sad reality is that even victories in the House don't do much if the Senate doesn't get on board. A vast array of bills have passed in the House, only to die in Mitch McConnell's proverbial inbox. Here's Representative Sherry Bustos, a leader of the Democratic Party who serves Illinois' 17th district. In fact, we passed 400 bills in 2019, uh, 275 of which did have bipartisan support, but in, in too many cases just have a handful of Republicans who have been supportive of them. Yet what's happening is we pass them out of the House and they're sitting on the desk of Mitch McConnell gathering dust, and he's not even taking them up. So to me, that is, um, that's been a low point in Congress that we've got these great pieces of legislation that would be so helpful to so many people, and um, they don't have more widespread support. And then um, Mitch McConnell, who's the leader of the Senate, doesn't even do anything with them. This raises the question, is it more difficult now to bring people together than it was in the past? The answer seems like maybe yes. Here's Angie Craig again. You know, my sense is that in the old days in Congress, there were there were more relationships uh, that, that could be developed and formed. And, you know, maybe part of that is this um, idea that, that we do come back home every weekend, that we, we don't live together and our, our children don't go to school together. Um, and, and that has changed about Washington as well. But I also think that our politics have come become uh, much more uh, vitriolic. I think our, our politics uh, have become more personal uh, over uh, the last several years. And much of that, I think, has to do with uh, campaign finance laws. When Citizens United uh, in 2010 was the judgment, it, it really changed elections across the country. You know, the average congressional race used to cost around a million dollars, and now it's well over three million in price, uh, quote-unquote, and, and it's, it's, it's really the evolution and the rise of the super PACs. It's hard when you know everything you do is going to be, um, you know, uh, grabbed by a super PAC, blown up, and then uh, put on TV for these $20 million campaigns that are happening all over the country. Still, women in the House are making it work. 
One of my favorite learnings from season one of Women Belong in the House was that women tend to reach across the aisle more to get things done. It's important to note again that while women's representation in Congress has increased overall, that's entirely on the Democratic side of things. The number of Republican women in the House decreased in 2018. We're going to devote a whole episode to that topic later in the season. Even so, it's clear that despite inner and inter-party hurdles, representatives do successfully join hands to get a whole lot of stuff done. We'll wrap up on a high note. Abigail Spanberger cited one of her bipartisan successes as a highlight of her career thus far in the House. So I had a bill on prescription drug pricing transparency, and I worked really hard to make it bipartisan. My team worked really hard to make it bipartisan. We got it through the multiple committees of jurisdiction with bipartisan support. We, we knew it was doing really well. Um, and, and we had created this piece of legislation to be sort of foundational, focused on transparency. We're disagreeing about all sorts of things as it relates to healthcare, but can we agree that transparency and drug pricing is good and it's part of the first step towards ensuring that, that we can get prices down? And in the end, just by virtue of timing, the day that we voted on that bill was the day that my middle daughter's Girl Scout troop was on Capitol Hill for a Girl Scout field trip. So all her little Girl Scout sisters were able to be there and watch a vote. Um, and I had you know, told the parents who were there as the other chaperones, oh, you know, we're expecting it to pass relatively easily. Of course, there's going to be, you know, not, some people will vote against it. And in the end, it, it got a unanimous vote of every member who was there to vote that evening. No one voted against it. And uh, I had partnered on this, this particular bill with a, a Republican colleague from Texas, and my daughters had come with me to vote for it on the floor. And he took the American flag lapel pin that he was wearing and he gave it to my middle daughter. And he said, you know, here, this is this is the pin from the day your mom passed her first bill on the floor. And I had had multiple amendments pass on the floor, but this was my first standalone bill. And that was really special. And, you know, in all of the chaos that exists in D.C., the fact that, you know, this man, I, I had partnered with him, his team had partnered uh, with my team. And it was just a really special, very human moment of kindness. And, uh, you know, my eight-year-old was just excited. And it was it was really a very sweet, very human moment. Congress isn't necessarily the unproductive mess that it may seem from afar. When it works as it should, members of the House really can accomplish a whole lot. Mastering the art of influence is the name of the game. That's even more true when representatives graduate from freshman status and start to rise up the ranks. After all, Congress isn't a horizontal organization. There's a ladder to climb. Next time on Women Belong in the House, we're talking about just that, climbing the House hierarchy. Women Belong in the House is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and executive produced by me, Jenny Kaplan. Special thanks to Louisa Garbowit. Original theme music by Miles Moran. To stay up to date with what's going on at WMN, follow us on Instagram at WMN.media and Twitter at WMN Media. You can also reach me directly on Twitter at Jenny M. Kaplan. I'd love to hear from you. Stay safe and talk to you next week. Before you go, 
I want to tell you about a show from the Vox Media Podcast Network that I think you might like. It's called Pivot, and it's hosted by Recode's co-founder and editor-at-large, Kara Swisher, and NYU business professor, Scott Galloway. Every Tuesday and Friday, Kara and Scott break down the major news stories of the week and take a sharp look at how they're changing the way we communicate, vote, shop, and live. You can expect razor-sharp insights, bold predictions, and a declaration of the week's big winners and losers. Kara and Scott bicker and banter at the speed of your Twitter feed, and the show is as hilarious as it is informative. Subscribe to Pivot with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway for free in your favorite podcast app to get new episodes automatically.